one more recap. Power projection is kind of a big deal. It's how life became to the point where it even had sapiens. It's how sapiens came to the point where we're sitting here talking to each other about Bitcoin. What is Bitcoin from a first principles viewpoint, from a systems engineering viewpoint? Yeah, I think it's very similar to agrarian society, the first civilizations that emerged. I think a bunch of people have agreed to a new rule of law. They're volunteering to participate in this new rule of law written in C++ instead of on a tablet like they did it back in the day or instead of on like a piece of paper. So it's a rule of law. It's a group of people. They write that rule of law in C++. They vote on that rule of law through their nodes. That's their legislator, the, the nodal network. So like I've got a node downstairs. That's my elected representative that votes for me. And you okay. choose. That's interesting. It's a direct legislature because you choose the rules. Yeah, and I vote. It's one one for one vote. Like, you know, there's not how you know there's not a small amount of legislators for a large amount of people. It's mm-hmm. a large amount of le- so like I'm basically carrying the power of a lawmaker mm-hmm. by running my node. Okay, what are we doing? Well, we're pulling our resources together to pay our power projectors to defend us. Okay, so like when we monetize Bitcoin and then a fee gets sent to the miner network or, and I know people get salty for me to bring it up, but it's important to bring it up right now. It's, it's not permanent, it's limited and it's decreasing exponentially, but right now Bitcoin is printed we are printing Bitcoin to give to our defenders, our power projectors. Mm-hmm. So if, even if they don't get fees, they get the block subsidy. So we're pulling resources together to pay for power projectors to defend our access to our underlying property, which we're calling Satoshis. The one caveat, sorry, on the debasement, though, is we there's zero unexpected debasement. Right. They can't change it mm-hmm. unless we vote to. Yes. Um, it's a lot better system because it takes the human out of the legislation loop for the yeah. most part. Yeah. And then the defenders take that money. They build a defense industrial complex where they specialize in projecting power in increasingly clever ways in order to make it too expensive to attack the property. Sound familiar? <laughs> and b- by the way, that technology is literally military technology encryption tcgip and shah from the nsa shah so it's um you know instead of land the property satoshis instead of kinetic power projection it's electric power projection but it's still joules per second and because you're projecting power it's still permissionless you have the ability to countervail the people who are writing the ledger if they decide to deny you access to your property. That's how you achieve permissionless and trustless. I don't have to trust my miners to not denial service attack me if I can just mine myself. I can project power myself. I'll earn my ability to have access to my property. 
And best of all, it takes the humans out of the loop. So there's no slimy politicians channeling their money away from effective defense or making insincere arguments that justify what is really their private agenda. And then on the defense side, so that's on the legislative side, on the defense side, there's no soldiers that have to risk their life to participate in the power projection competition. So that's important to bring up. It's literally the same physics. It's Mm. here is a piece of property. We're going to preserve your access to that property, your ability to spend it, to send it places by engaging in a giant global power projection competition where people compete for the opportunity to write the ledger, right? To set the state and chain of custody of, of the underlying property. And this goes back to your point earlier, um, you know, the mili- the miners can't take your money. They can't take that property, right? They can only, you know, they can only denial a service attack you basically. Mm-hmm. They can deny you access to your property, but they can't spend that Bitcoin for you. So it's even better property defense because of the uh, control structure that's in place written in code. So this is important to bring up because so many people talk about just the property part. And they say, you know what? It's supply capped digital energy. And we've monetized supply capped energy. And that's great. The problem is you could, I could, we could make Robert Jason coin tomorrow, make it supply capped, make it proof of work. And by the argument that a lot of people raise, it's no different than Bitcoin. It might be better. We could, we could go on some marketing campaign to get people to, to buy it. It's the power projection that makes it special. It's the enormous security control structure over it. It's the permissionless control structure over Bitcoin, which makes it so impressive. And, and, and then if you pull that thread a little bit more, your brain explodes because you realize something. Let's step, take a step back. Technology shelling point. We got up to nukes. We, we scaled the kinetic power projection game all the way up to nukes. It's not a surprise. Sapiens are kind of good at this game we've established. The problem with nukes is it becomes too expensive to use nukes. They cause too much damage. If you get into a situation where the people you're paying to defend you start to oppress you or there some other oppressor emerges, and you need to use this kinetic power projection protocol to countervail the control authority of the oppressor or to rearrange to settle the dispute or rearrange the state and chain of custody of the property, you risk nuclear annihilation and the extinction of the entire species to use it. It's just too expensive to use nukes. So this gets bad because it means that we've affected civilization after playing this game for 5,500 years, has now lost its ability to have permissionless, trustless controls over property. You have to trust the people who have the nukes. This is why people, every country in the world wants, or not every country, but there's a lot of countries out there that want to build nukes that are racing towards nukes now. That, right, that gives them 
pretty significant control authority over resources. So what happens if we get into a situation where an oppressor does emerge and we can't like overturn them or countervail the control authority because it would mean nuclear winter? We're stuck. <clears throat> so that's really I wanna, bad. I want to echo a couple of things back to you if, if now is a good time. Um, yes, please. I love the example of a new rule of law because it almost frames Bitcoin as a new jurisdiction, really, right? You have people, it's not a physical jurisdiction, clearly, but in terms of storing your monetary property, at least you can defect to a new rule of law, a new governance system, one in which no legislators are twisting the rules, which is really important because what do you want in money? You want really boring money, actually, really stable, predictable, preferably favorable rules for the user um, in a system where the individual actually chooses the rules himself by running a node. So as you said, individuals are effectively legislators and they're legislators with skin in the game because it's their monetary property being protected. So they have a balance of incentives and disincentives to participate honestly. That balance of incentives and disincentives is reflected on the mining side too, where they can DDoS you, but they're incentivized to be honest, right? That's their financial incentive. It's beautiful, honestly, and elegant. My question, and I don't know, I don't know, it's just a question. So let me know. I don't know if there is an answer to it, but how do the jewels per second of military established chain of custody and property, I think, as you say, how does that stack up to Bitcoin's jewels per second? It's probably very difficult to measure the military, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. That was my first thought about like my thesis because like I, that quote earlier, and when I first got on Twitter, I was like joking with you about this. It's like, we should, because I used to be a blast and ballistics research engineer. I, I used to literally measure the watts that come off of explosions. And we call them kilogram or uh, kilotons of TNT, but it's still power. And you can make the conversion between kilotons of TNT and watts. And so I was like, you know, if you want an apples to apples comparison between the joules per second that are spent to defend against DOS attacks on that network versus against kinetic denial of service attack of kinetic property, you could, we should measure, we should measure like Bitcoin in kilotons of TNT, the energy that expends in kilotons of TNT to illustrate how that works. Or we should measure the uh, military and how much watts they use. But the what's important to remember is the point of the energy. The point of the energy is to make it too expensive to attack the network. You know, you mentioned earlier, the miners are incentivized to participate. What's the incentive? That incentive is very important to, to bring out. The incentive is, I will harm you if you don't cooperate. I will harm your wallet. So Bitcoin energy, it's electric power projection. So it's a directed energy weapon pointed straight at the wallet of the attackers. I used to be an uh, electronic warfare analyst. 
we have directed energy weapons that can go straight at your skin, that can like boil your skin and harm nothing else, right? It's still a kinetic domain. But the point is, Bitcoin has both the carrot to incentivize cooperation, but it also has the stick to incentivize cooperation. The stick is a non-lethal stick, but it's still a stick. It will still cause harm to the attacker. It will burn their wallet and all their resources if they try to do it. So that's why it's incentivized. The military is the same way. We exist to make it too expensive to attack us. I spend a lot of time thinking about China. I spend a lot of time thinking about Chinese anti-satellite systems against Chinese hypersonic missiles. My job is to make it very expensive for them to ever use those against the United States, to ever try to deny the United States access to what we want to have access to. But because this is in the kinetic domain, obviously the defense is gonna be kinetic. Anything in the kinetic domain, especially if there's a human in the loop is gonna be lethal. But it's the same physics. It's the same systematic control structure. You mentioned also uh, that, that is skin in the game in a nutshell, as you're just, I mean, yeah, carrot and stick. And so you can continue to pull this thread. So we, we're now starting to equivalent, like to make the comparison of Bitcoin, not as a property, but as a weapon system to establish and preserve permissionless control over underlying property. If you have permissionless control under underlying property, to your point, that sounds like you're now sovereign. You're now a group of people running code. So agreeing to a rule of law, funding, paying fees to power projectors to defend your access. You're now creating an, a, a new sovereign organization, a new sovereign group of people. So in my opinion, Bitcoin is not just property. It's the whole it's the whole stack. It's the whole tech stack. It's mm. the government, it's the military, and it's the money and the property. And the least impressive part, in my opinion, is the money and the property because any Joe Schmo can build some shitcoin, but to build a badass power projection military defense architecture over that to preserve permissionlessness and sovereignty over that property is the beautiful thing. And may I ask a question? Um, yeah. Mentioned I had a debate this morning with a pretty well-known macro anti-Bitcoiner. Um, and I can hear what I think would be his rebuttal to what you just said is, okay, sounds like an elegant, elegant, phenomenal innovation if I'm a state actor, why don't I just go and replicate it and project my own power through an alternative system and dominate Bitcoin or become the next Bitcoin or whatever? How do yeah. you describe the shelling point that that energy projection flows toward? So this gets to the beauty of money itself that makes money different than all the other different types of property. Me and you, we're not going to, probably not anytime soon, going to stop valuing certain types of kinetic resources. We're probably going to continue to value oxygen 
and food and water. So if a, so we're going to continue to be vested in the power projection permissionless control structure over those physical kinetic resources. Like we're going to still need to rely on that. Mm-hmm. We got to pay some kinetic defenders like my friends to preserve our physical property. Yeah. Okay. So, and so you, so it probably it'll still continue to be States because they have established that they're quite good at that. Mm-hmm. Okay. What makes money unique though? So, and, and this gets to the cool thing and the scary thing about what has happened with the federal reserve the Federal Reserve has now coupled itself to the top global global power projector, right? So they have a lockdown on permissionless control over money as long as they have the military. But money can be anything. Money is a shape-shifting thing. Remember what we talked about at the very beginning about shared abstractions? Mm-hmm. Shared abstraction is just an idea it only exists in the prefrontal cortexes of the humans. So we can just change what we want our money to be like, like that. You can set up a amazing permissionless kinetic power projection control structure over kinetic resources and preserve it, but you can't do it over digital because we can just change what we value as money. Like mm-hmm. we can just agree to stop mm-hmm. valuing USD as money. Okay, so what? So in that world, what does the state power projection thing matter? But 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 even more than that, this gets back to our private militia conversation. Okay, if the state thinks that it can create its own version of Bitcoin and project the most power and have people use it, prove it. Do it. Right. It's just like in in the private militia. Mm-hmm. Right. If you think private militia can do this better, can play this power projection game better, do it. If you think a state militia can and but like you're you're demonstrably incapable of doing it because everyone wants the thing that projects more power, that defends their thing better. And that's always going to be the thing that has multiple nation states than the thing that has one nation state. And even if even if the United States created U.S. Bitcoin, why would we continue to value it? What makes them, they can establish a control structure over it, but they can't force me to value it. Right. Like, like I don't value USD at all. I yeah. barely have any. I think like 0.02% of my net worth is, is USD. Like I, it's not valuable to me. Uh, so there you go. Spoken like, like I, a true Bitcoiner. Let, let me so let me one more advocate devil's advocate question here. I love. I mean, this, this is this is great, man. Um, what prevents a nation state from coming in to the localized mining network and strong arming them and saying you're no longer mining Bitcoin, you're mining, you know, imperialist coin? And I think you may have kind of answered that when you just you mentioned other nation state participation. It's like if one nation state does that, then they've basically defected from this game that all it's being played at the geopolitical level it's already being played at the geopolitical level yeah we've already seen what happens when the nation state comes in and says you're no longer mining 
this stuff. We got a beautiful display of that with China. Yeah. And we recovered all our hash and we just hit a new all-time hash today. So it took six months for the network to recover from that. So, you know, it goes back to projecting power in the most clever way. It's not just projecting the most power, it's projecting it in the clever way. You geographically relocate all your power projection apparatuses everywhere across the world. You partition the chain of custody of the underlying property across a distributed ledger. So there's no single point of failure for the ledger. It creates a really effective thing. They're, they're, um, so it's resilient. There's nothing to stop it, but that's why you have um, the ability to hash more. Like, so if a country attacks Kazakhstan, then on the other side of the world, people are going to spin up more hash. It's in their incentive to do it. Um, and then this gets to something that another controversial thing that I mentioned on Twitter, which is you can also, I think, nation states that go in all in on a Bitcoin standard will likely have hash forces. So maybe it'll be commercial, maybe it'll be government, maybe it'll be some combination, but those governments are going to be vested in preserving the permissionless state and sovereignty of their themselves, which means they have to improve the sovereignty of the network. But, but before we get into that, it's, it's just to recircle back to what we were talking about before in the kinetic power projection game, we've reached a stalemate. We can't countervail the control authority of China. USSR or Russia, right? Like a near peer war where, or a peer to peer war with nukes is a war without winners. Ain't nobody walking away from that fight. Uh, at least, you know, it wouldn't be pretty. So we can't use it. So then what do we do? We go into all these proxy wars. Notice how there hasn't been a peer to peer war after nukes, right? Like it's always been asymmetric or terrorists, right? Um, and then you see where that kinetic power projection game is moving. You can see the new technological shelling points emerge. They look like drones. So we're already beginning to take the human out of the loop. When a drone goes up against another drone, this is something like the Air Force is in an identity crisis right now. One of the reasons why I left the Space Force or left the Air Force and joined the Space Force. You know, a drone goes against another drone. That's human out of the loop. They fight each other. That's a non-lethal fight already. Yeah. We're already starting to go that way. Space Force is all non-lethal. There's nobody in the loop on a, you know, there's no one floating around shooting a gun, even though I have like a hilarious like meme shirt of that, right? Like that's not going to yeah. be how this game plays. It's It takes violence back to its original roots, projecting force projecting power in increasingly clever ways to countervail the control authority of who else is up there in a maneuver warfare setting, all of which is human out of the loop. Okay, so we're already getting to the point where we have drones in a non-lethal fight. We have space drones in a non-lethal fight. We call that the Space Force. And we're already stalemated Right. So like, let's say the United States loses its 
non-human in the loop, non-lethal drone fight with Russia or something, Russia's still not going to invade the United States. We've still got nukes. Like it's still a stalemate. You're not going to, you're just going to win whatever local proxy war crap that you were fighting. You're not going to win the strategic level. Okay. So, so we're still stalemated. It doesn't solve the stalemate. We can't countervail the control authority. All right. So why do we even do it kinetically? Why do we even fight kinetically if we're stalemated and it's already non-lethal? Right. We just send a bunch of drones in a cluster to fight another cluster of drones in like a swarm fight. And you sit there and watch human out of the loop to see who wins that power projection game, that probabilistic power projection game. And whoever wins it doesn't even get to countervail the control authority of the other one because they're nuclear powered because you're, you're still stalemated. Why don't you just put those drones on a rack in a warehouse and you have them fight each other through an electric power competition, an electric power projection competition. At least that way, with the underlying property involved, there is a winner. There is permissionless control over the underlying property. And so this is like the key point of my thesis is I think with Bitcoin, we've effectively invented the digital surrogate to warfare itself after we've stalemated ourselves in the kinetic domain, we're digitally transposing warfare from a kinetic power projection game into an electric power projection game in order to reestablish our permissionless control structure over our monetized property that we've effectively lost with the by scaling the kinetic power projection game so high. And if we've done that, then we've created, this isn't like just a, 5,000 year old thing. This isn't just like a fiat thing, like it's better than fiat. That's like so high time preference. This is like the most significant evolution of life on earth in 4 billion years because we just transposed evolution into the digital domain. We've invented non-lethal warfare. Humans have, life itself has discovered its digital antlers. We've, we've figured out a way to preserve the game power projection game to compete over the state and chain of custody of resources, just like animals do with the protrusions out of their foreheads called antlers, right. but in a non-lethal way. So life itself has discovered it's digital equivalent to antlers. And it's the same system. It's the same agrarian society. It's its own sovereign entity. What do you call a non-government militia that wins? Right? What do, you, what do you call a non-government organization of people defending themselves that successfully defends themselves? It's a new government. It's a new something. Right. It's a new sovereign entity. Uh, maybe not. It's something more than a state. Yeah. The, the, man, well, first of all, um, hats off to you because there's a lot of us that are bullish on Bitcoin. But I don't think anyone's ever said it's the most four significant billion. invention in four billion years. I'm so bullish that you you have won the power projection game on that. Thank you. Um, Thank you. And it's quite compelling, I must say, because I mean, I in a way have intuited a lot. I mean, some of what you're saying to an extent. For me, it was more. Um, a, what's the word for this? I started to look at work as this very noble 
incredible thing. Like it's the thing you can't counterfeit. It's the thing we all do with a purpose. It's how we transcend time by creating more productivity, all of these things, but it's, it's that proof of work, you know, there's some real meat to it and you've just taken it to another level in your framework here. Um, I want, so, man, you said so many good things. I have so many notes. I wanted to just highlight the, I guess I'll just say this first, the non-lethal warfare. It's so interesting. There's a lot of areas where Bitcoin is, appears to me to have unified opposites and that's a, whole rabbit hole in and unto itself. Hey, everybody. As you've no doubt learned by watching this show, Bitcoin is the single most important asset you can own in the 21st century. And one of the most important companies in Bitcoin today is Nidig. Nidig's mission is to get Bitcoin into the hands of as many people as possible. One of the ways they are accomplishing this mission is by empowering banks and financial technology companies to offer their own Bitcoin products and services. As a true game changer in the industry, Nidig is safely unlocking the power of Bitcoin for forward-thinking individuals and institutions alike. Led by Robbie Gutman, Yin Zhao, and Ross Stevens, Nidig has absolutely exploded onto the Bitcoin scene recently and has quickly become a leader in this space. So, whether you are a professional investor looking for asset management services or a company looking to white label your own Bitcoin product or service, consider Nidig your single source solution for everything Bitcoin. Perhaps as another rebuttal, what is the possibility then? Because you're using this drone warfare future that would be trying to avoid or would be pointless, presumably. It's like, who's going to send the biggest swarm? Is this going to be like a televised sport? It just sounds kind of silly. <laughs> so what's the possibility though of a coordinated drone attack on Bitcoin mining itself? Like how do, have you thought about how that oh, yeah. plays into the military realities of, of Bitcoin mining becoming this surrogate to warfare as you've described? Yeah, no, I think about this all the time. So, we, and my thesis is Bitcoin has transposed warfare from the kinetic domain into the electric domain. We've established the first permissionless control structure over property that you can have without having to make something bleed in order to achieve that permissionlessness. All other animals have never been able to do this over their resources to achieve their permissionless control over their resources, they kill stuff. So we've effectively replaced blood with electricity. So you're not bleeding anymore, you're just dumping electricity into the environment in this power projection competition. That being said, it doesn't eliminate the value, and I know I use that term carefully, um, it doesn't uh, eliminate the need for kinetic power projection. And so, in my opinion, it will be the new strategic um, places for militaries to defend. And one of the reasons why I mm. am communicating for a hash force, or at least a hash command, a US hash command, is to make the you know, 
Like we need people thinking like dedicated to thinking about this stuff, because if we transition to Bitcoin, then it'll be like, uh, you know, it'll be like Neo in the matrix, right? Like there'll be two fights happening. There's the kinetic fight. And then there's the matrix fight happening simultaneously. We're still going to need kinetic military to defend energy, to defend internet, right? We don't want anyone cutting internet cables to defend the hash warehouses themselves. So like you would call in, you know, there would be a four-star commander that could call in or, or it could be the opposite. So let's even think about this. Like what if China 51% attack the network and succeeds? We, you know, could we call in a missile to strike their dam that's powering 25% of their hash rate. Like these are questions that we actually start have to seriously consider because um, I don't think it's going to be like, this gets back to uh, the conversation that we had earlier. It's still not clear to me if it's voluntary or involuntary, but it's clear that like, if you want to defend your purchasing power, you should probably pay miners to defend it for you mm-hmm. on this Bitcoin system. I think nations are going to want to convert their treasury to Bitcoin. And they're going to want to participate in this, this hash competition because it's in everyone's best interest to have pristine property rights. Mm-hmm. Like who, like obviously China would want that. They there's at least the regime would want it. Like they, they don't have to make their population have access to the Bitcoin, mm-hmm. but like the people in charge of China are going to want to preserve their property rights and be globally competitive. So they are going to buy it. And um, Russia might as well. Like, I think it's only a matter of time until other countries figure out this thesis is true. Like we've no kidding found the next or like Satoshi Nakamoto was the next Orbin the engineer that just mm. gave us a new shelling point for warfare. Um, and it's so much better in every possible way because no one has to bleed. There ain't politicians, uh, you know, and it's much more um, just better in every way. Yeah. I mean, agreed. I, it's Interesting. It's a really interesting point. What, what would be then the threat is geopolitical coordinated attack against Bitcoin mining, which is a known unknown, I suppose. But in my view, it would re- require the Byzantine general's problem effectively to be solved at scale, right? Because every Every nation state that cooperated in that effort would then have an incentive to defect. And so how would you coordinate these antagonistic actors in an attack against Bitcoin? But some people believe, like, again, I'm reflecting on my debate this morning. I'm surprised he didn't use that actually as an argument and just say, oh, all the nation states are going to coordinate and shut this thing down. How do you deal with that in your mind? People forget that. The whole point of a blockchain is to preserve the state and chain of custody of an underlying asset in a permissionless environment. This annoys me when shitcoiners build 
tokens for their business that require SEC approval to function because it's like mm-hmm. you forgot the point of a blockchain. <laughs> the blo- point of a blockchain is you don't need permission. Right. It's like building a horse-drawn car. Like if you if you if you build a permission-based blockchain token, it's like okay, well, an oxymoron. Yeah. yeah. So, like, and and also people also forget that like TCPIP P was designed to be resistant against nuclear strike. It's a wet military anti-nuke technology to preserve communications during a full-scale nuclear strike. SHA-256 is kind of equally as strategically significant. And so um, the most important answer to that is so simple that it sounds dumb. The thing that's to stop them is power projection. <laughs> like, if they want to defeat Bitcoin, they have to project more power in a more clever way, and they're not doing that effectively yet. They had the opportunity, and they continue to fail. And and just like mining exists to make it painful to attack the network to cause economic harm. Bitcoin monetizes energy. So like there's an enormous opportunity cost to attacking it that like hurts everybody. This is one of the another beautiful things about Bitcoin in a kinetic power projection game. The end result of that competition is rubble is mm-hmm. destroyed. Infrastructure is dead people. In an electric power projection game between drones fighting in cyberspace, these miners, the end result of that hash war, that kinetic, that uh, electric power projection game is cheap, abundant energy, more infrastructure for everybody. So it's like, you know, getting enough, like imagine if when people went to war, instead of like, you know, bleeding flowers bloomed, like something beautiful happened, right? Like you want the competition to happen and it's super harmful for your country to fight it. Mm-hmm. Um, it it's way, the you know, it gets back to the economics game, right? What's the ROI for attacking Bitcoin? Something that's enormously big, uh, uh, defense, right? You have virtually nothing to gain by it, except for a couple people, you know, you know the bankers. Mm-hmm. They're not the most, they're not most people though. Um, that 1% that control monetary policy or less than 1% that control global monetary yeah. policy today doesn't, isn't a representation of like most people. So, you know, it, it just, and just back to the militia game, like prove it. This is a power projection competition. Let's, the thing that stops them is they got to project more power and good luck. Right. Um, I, would, I would just echo your point there that also the money tends to need to be anchored to energy to succeed. You know, that's kind of like what gold was as a store of value. It was hard to produce, required energy. Even when we went to the fiat currency kind of US dollar standard, and it was severed from gold, it was pretty quickly anchored to black gold, effectively. 
Mm-hmm. So it's like, it always needs to be tethered to energy to create demand for it. So there's this, there's just direct source, direct and perpetual persistent and global source of demand for Bitcoin mining, which is just like anywhere you can get energy in any way, cost effectively, you can go and, you know, alchemize it into digital gold. Yeah, it's, it's so cool how that trend keeps on reemerging. Um, and then another thing too, is we talked about like over these two episodes, all the different types of power projection strategies that exist. We're paying fees to power projectors to defend us. So that one has proven to work. We want, people want permissionless control over their property. So to achieve sovereignty. So people are more likely to like pursue that. Um, people want the thing that's most defended. So it's gonna, as well, so long as it continues to defend things effectively and have the most hash, it's gonna be the best pick if you want permissionless control. The more people buy it, the more it becomes monetized, the more value it holds. What is monetization? It's a shared abstraction. The more people have it, the more people, you know, you get Metcalf's login. So you're projecting more power towards a common good. Why are shared abstractions good? Like I just said, causes people to cooperate. By the way, it causes them to cooperate involuntarily. Remember the first examples of cooperation in 2 billion years ago was involuntary. They didn't know what they were doing. These frenemies were created because they were literally stuck together and it was in their best interest to work together. What happens if people start working together and then growing, right? That's called colonization. That's called, it gets back to what we talked about with plants. 80% of the biomass of plants are cells that cooperated together and then just grew that focus strictly on what we will call defense, right? It's the kudzu of, of money, right? It's just growing like crazy. Um, and like, by the way, plants, plants don't have brains. Have you ever noticed that? They don't have brains. They don't need them. If you're in a colonization strategy, you don't need brains to help you maneuver around and stuff because all you have to do is just focus on strength and grow. It's not a complex so program. Effect- yep. So they're effectively decentralized. So we've, we've established that the most effective power projection strategy on this planet is plants, colonization, people without brains, decentralized growth. Simple strategy too, like Bitcoin. Bitcoin's a very super simple, simple, yeah, super simple. Just make your membrane strong, hide yeah. your property behind a strong wall of encrypted energy, and just grow. And then sooner or later, you control eighty percent, like eighty percent of all monetizable property is Bitcoin. If I may make a conjecture here, and I, this is somewhat drawing on inspiration from the book, um, Michael Pollan wrote it, "The Botany of Desire." where he makes the argument that in a way we plants evolved to make us subservient to them in a way like agriculture was us expanding the crop footprint, right. By feeding us, by giving us certain desirable outputs, uh, we actually cultivated and expanded the genetic footprint of the plant, similar to the way Bitcoin incentivizes all market actors to engage with it in a way that causes it to proliferate. Yeah, you know, two ways to get people to cooperate 
the carrot and the stick plants literally give us the carrot yeah <laughs> um that's a great yeah you, you know the, the more this beast grows I, and i think this really gets to your other questions which is the less the more it grows the more monetized the more Bitcoin becomes monetized, the less kinetic property is monetized, right? You're sucking the monetizable value out of traditional kinetic assets and parking it in Bitcoin, which means that you're, you know, there's less ROI for attackers to engage in the kinetic power projection competition to gain control over non-monetized kinetic property, kinetic domain property, right? Like, I think it was your podcast with Breedlove, or sorry, uh, the sailor who was like, what happens if you remove the spoils of war? Like, are you going to have as much war? So if you have less ROI for attackers, then you have less need for summing a bunch of money, pulling a bunch of money together to build your defense, at least your kinetic defense. Mm -hmm. So your, your taxes goes down or your fees that you pay to your mm -hmm. power projectors goes down. And, and yeah, states can, or maybe enemies can do what is effectively a kinetic 51% attack where they bomb their opponent's hash until the point where they have 51% hash. But what is in it for them? What do they gain out of that? They can't capture any Bitcoin and they're only harming themselves. So this gets now- Then they to, open th themselves up to further attack because they've now depleted the network of security. They're more, yeah. they are more vulnerable as a result, actually. Exactly. So this gets to what'll be the other part of my thesis, which is mutually assured preservation. So in the kinetic power projection game, we scaled it to the point where the shelling point is mutually assured destruction. We hold a knife to each other's throats. We park, like I've got some buddies in my class who, who drive submarines around and park them and hide them underwater. And their whole job is if Russia shoots first, we, sh we blow up Moscow with a nuclear submarine launched ballistic missiles and we hide our submarines in the ocean so they don't know where we are. That's like the whole point of his job. And so that's mutually assured destruction. It works. Um, but, it, and I think it will work for the same reason that mutually assured preservation will work. But instead of holding a knife to each other's throats, you're actually helping your opponent you're you're improving his security her security so it's beneficial to both of y'all and then because bitcoin is um supply capped the more productive your opponent's economy right the more purchasing power assuming they're on a bitcoin standard if you're both on a bitcoin standard you want your opponent to succeed and you know basically increase the purchasing power of every Bitcoin. Like the more they have productive economy, the more your Bitcoin buys. Right, right, yeah. The more capital so, we create collectively, the more purchasing power it creates Bitcoin. And so this gets to the final point, which I think is the beauty of Bitcoin that we alluded to earlier. Remember, Homo sapiens were able to slaughter everything because they could cooperate at scale. They conquered Dunbar's number. So they can cooperate with people they don't trust so long as 
those people believe in the same thing. And of course, money, what's a better shared abstraction than money itself? The, the, but the problem is we have run into another version of Dunbar's number where there's a limit to like, we've got too many competing abstractions, too many different states. Like people are identifying as Chinese or American or Indian or, you know, from these different states. So they're not going to, they're less likely to cooperate. People are identifying from different religions. So they're less likely to trust and cooperate at each other. So we've actually imposed, we're still running into a cooperation at scale limit due to our inability to trust other abstractions themselves. Mm. Like I don't trust you because you look different or you're from somewhere different or you believe something different than me. But Bitcoin bridges that gap and combines, like creates a new shared abstraction that we're all willing to trust. And that is to not have to trust anybody, right? <laughs> like we solve, we create trustlessness. And so, and th this is the great thing. Like I get in fights constantly on Twitter. People hate me, but you know what? We still like Bitcoin, right? We right. still agree that Bitcoin is the right way. We have competing ideals. People hate the idea that, you know, like a government guy, a military guy is, in the scene, but guess what? We both believe in Bitcoin. So we're cooperating. We're, we're frenemies now, whether you like it or not, you're going to accept my Bitcoin probably. And so Bitcoin is a, its own sovereign entity, but more importantly, it's its own shared abstraction that unites all the competing abstractions into one. It bridges the gap between everything because who wouldn't want trustlessness, and more importantly, who wouldn't want preservation of property without bloodshed? It is obviously better. It's just a matter of getting people to understand why that's better. Its emergent properties are obviously better. It's just a matter of getting more people to see it. This is um, beautiful, actually. I I mean, what you, what you just said is Bitcoin fixed trust by destroying the need for trust, something like yeah. that. It's almost like a paradox of very interesting proportions. And I like this idea that it's essentially, you know, it's the ultimate thing in many ways, many domains, but now you're essentially making the claim that it could potentially be the ultimate human social construction or shared abstraction we've ever had. And it's, it is the ultimate shared abstraction, again, a paradox in a way that something we collectively share, but it's, it's because it's optimized for the individual, right? It's actually best for the collective, which is so interesting because that's been the, the struggle we highlighted earlier. How do yep. we scale cooperation without making any individual subject to being gamed? Yeah. The, the tension is you have to cooperate more or you have to build larger armies to be competitive in the kinetic power projection game. But as you scale that up, your individual sovereignty degrades. Right. So there's a tension between individual sovereignty and winning the kinetic power projection game that Bitcoin uh, dramatically improves. And then if we, you know, wrap it up with the macro view, remember 
what is life? Life is the thing that is continually finding more ways to project power in increasingly clever ways so that we can countervail the, the direction of entropy. And so if we humans can rally around this one thing, then, uh, you know, we'll and have a single money, we basically become the united countries of Bitcoin. We become a globalized sovereign entity. And now we can steer, we can build our new temples, right? Just like we do when we win any other war. Um, we can build civilization on Mars because we've, you know, we're not fighting over monetary property here back on earth anymore. So we're making ourselves more capable of fighting against the irreversible entropy of the universe, which is essential for survival. And it's the point of life, I think. It's beautifully said. Um, a great philosophical anchor to the whole thing. And Interesting that, you know, it, entropy, it's an oft confused world word, excuse me. Um, I read this book, The Formula of Fortune, and it equated entropy and uncertainty, you know, citing Maxwell's demon, an old thought experiment. And it's almost as if you went by clarifying those boundaries of private property between people and this bloodless protocol, we're kind of, it's almost like we're just externalizing a lot of entropy. We can remove a lot of uncertainty from the sphere of human affairs, you know, and then we could just, I, I tweeted this the other day that if the rules are changeable, people will fight over who gets to control the rules. If they're not changeable, people play by the rules. Like that's almost as simple as I know how to say it. You're just getting all of this uncertainty out of the game. And it's like, okay, we get it. These are the lines. This is how you score points. This is energy. Here's how we turn energy into money. Here's how you compete on the free market. You know, it, it minimizes or disincentivizes coercion and all the other forms of entropy that, that come along <laughs> with that. Yeah, it's like so a I agree. Maybe I, you know, four billion years. Maybe you're right. This is a once in a four billion year innovation. <laughs> um, the alternative to Satoshi, the, the property, the resource known as Satoshi's is you fight over it kinetically. You, you, you kill things in order to preserve your access to your property if someone tries to deny you access to it, right? That's the alternative. So like, obviously people are going to figure this out and realize like, if I wanna continue monetizing traditional assets, you're going to continue basically seeding the development of militaries. You're going to continue to have to build giant kinetic power projections and fight and have people bleed over preserving permissionless control over that thing. But you, and even then, I don't think it even works because we're still nuclear stalemated. So right. yeah, it's like have other, have other civilizations like interstellar civilizations figure this out. Like, I don't see how you can, I don't see how you can scale any species beyond interplanetary without some local version of Bitcoin. Right. It's just, it's just so perfect. You, right. you monetize energy, you, you, you enrich yourself by enriching yourself. Yes. And then the exhaust is the entropy is the disorder 
Right, right, right. Yes. It's like an entropy pump or something. Yeah, it's a refrigerator. It's yeah. a stupid it's a, example, but it's, <laughs> it's a refrigerator. It dumps heat out the back, but on the inside, uh, it's cold. It sounds cooler than digital antlers, but I like digital <laughs> antlers. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm still trying to find a non way to describe <laughs> it, but that's all I've got. The other so thing far. that's occurring to me in your framework here is that if we can pump all this entropy out of the system, as you've highlighted, when we establish firm borders with strong predictable property rights and rule of law, economic abundance, right? We Wealth explodes. People cooperate, trade, innovate, figure things out, and boom. So you can only imagine what that would be like on a planetary scale. Yeah, on a planetary scale where the marginal cost of generating energy is effectively free. You're paid to consume energy, basically, like, uh, or it costs nothing. So, like, if you want to fix hunger, if you want to fix water, it, like, make energy perfectly free. You, how do you make energy free? You monetize it. How do you monetize it? you create and choose a monetizable property where the permissionless control structure over it can only be achieved through giant energy competitions. Right. Like it's, to me, it's just so straightforward and the vision is so pretty and beautiful. I just have to find a way to say it in a way that my um, superiors will understand. And if there's one thing they understand, they understand the role of military, the role of violence. So that's the direction I'm going to take. Point it's just is, like, uh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say earlier, we we're talking about GPS it took like 25 years for Congress to approve building a giant multi-billion dollar constellation of atomic clocks to put in space. Cause they didn't see the value of it. They were convinced to build it because they were convinced it was a national strategic imperative. There's a reason why my working title of my Bitcoin paper Taught, you know, uses the word national strategic imperative. Mm. Um, if once you get people to understand that kind of this thesis that we talked about, then it becomes obvious that like this is the way power projection is going. United States should probably be highly supportive of this and move quickly so we can continue our power projection dominance into the future. And more importantly, that's how you get a bunch of polarized legislators to agree on something uh -huh. and actually support it. And then it wasn't until way after GPS was built that we discovered it's beneficial for all the other reasons that we use it for. Right. The same will be for Bitcoin. People will figure it out. Uh, it just takes a little bit of, you have to do the work. It took me years to get to the point where I could speak to it like this and fully understand uh -huh. its, significant on, its significance on civilization as a whole. So wish yeah. me luck. This is just like my initial thoughts. I haven't started writing anything yet, but this is kind of the direction I want to take. No, I love, I mean, thank you for what you're doing. You're doing, in my opinion, an excellent job of pioneering new space and articulating the existing complexities of Bitcoin and the ongoing complexities of how to assimilate it into the existing world. This is not, it's one thing to get your head around the thing. It's another thing to also bring it into the existing complex world. So kudos to you for that. Um, I hope, you know, we'll talk again. I'd like to talk again. I know we need to get this done pretty quick so you can get back to work. Um, but I hope that this conversation helps bring out some of those points because these are the things I've been thinking about a lot as well. So this idea of 
Bitcoin is like a global bribery or global bounty program for energy abundance. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, how is that not obvious? Like, yeah, just, guys, whatever we monetize, we make a lot of. Why not yeah. monetize energy and go make a lot of energy, which is the number one input to every economic process that <laughs> makes everything more abundant? I, I have a bunch of Chevron people in my class and I'm just like, how are you not mining Bitcoin? You're basically, you would basically be paid to smoke your own crack. Like, how could you not do it? You got to change that analogy. <laughs> yeah, I need to find it better. And then another analogy that I have to change too, because it sounds bad, but in our last conversation, we talked about how like kudzu will eventually, you know, you've seen it, what yeah, it does. Oh yeah. oh yeah. In software, there's a term called strangler pattern. It sounds bad, but if there's an old legacy piece of software, like enterprise software that's being used, and then there's a new piece of software that's emerged, the strangler pattern is you, you run them side by side so that operators are using both software, but the new one gradually, you know, improves and improves and improves you get better features added 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 until you find yourself just not using the old software anymore the old system anymore so i you know so back to your point about how do we bridge what this new feature into what exists now right. i think what we're i think what we're seeing is the decentralized emergence of what is effectively a software strangler pattern shaping out in real wow. time where people are actually starting to realize that like Bitcoin is its own sovereign thing and we are strangler patterning legislation, rules of law right, and the right. way of war fighting itself. And over time, people will just forget or just stop using legacy system and act like Bitcoin was self-evident and obvious the entire time. What's so amazing about that analogy and I know the kudzu vine very well, having grown up in Tennessee, um, is that it's actually out competing all the existing plants for access to sunlight, right? Which is the for same energy. What, for energy, right? We're back. And that's what, Bit, you know, hydrocarbons, yeah. they're ancient sunlight, all these. It's amazing that it all comes back to that bedrock of power projection. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's um, existential imperative. I think it's one of the probably the best and most significant technology that sapiens have come up with to date and uh like i don't know how you couldn't be just stacking sats like a madman like constantly with this kind of perception of of the future so we'll see how it plays out but yeah uh, in the short term i just have to get this paper written and get it in the hands of everyone i can find at the pentagon that sounds like noble work to me so we'll let you get back to it. Um, Jason, if you want to tell my audience where they can find you, I think we did this on the last one, but we could just do it one more time. Yeah, I'm just on Twitter at, at Jason P. Lowry, L-O-W-E-R-Y. I, uh, I was invited to Twitter by Greg Foss because he found me on LinkedIn. Um, I test takes there. They're not always great. I'm trying to be as transparent as I possibly can because I understand, um, you know, being the military government national defense fellow person researching Bitcoin that people are going to want to know where my head is at. So I promise to be as honest and straightforward and transparent as I can, including and especially when I know it might piss people off. Uh, thank you for bearing with me. Thank you for 
uh, supporting me in this journey. And Robert, I can't wait to talk to you again once I've kind of flushed these ideas out more and kind of written more. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we have a lot to get into still on the list. So Jason, thanks so much. Yep. Take care.